a three-day weekend, Memorial yes. Day weekend. You guys will be listening to this after Memorial Day, mm-hmm. but it's actually supposed to be a pretty nice weekend here in Baltimore. So I'm excited because it's been a cloudy, overcast week, and I'm kind of over it. <laughs> uh, it was nice to get a break from the 95-degree heat we had last weekend. Um, right. But yeah, but I'm excited for sunshine again. I just feel like it's been very dreary. And I just think that mem- Memorial Day is such a great low-pressure holiday. Yeah. Well, I am jealous. My friend uh, Dave actually is going to Normandy to take part in the D-Day celebration. Oh, amazing. Because he's yeah. Army recruits, right? He's National Guard. National Guard. So they were like, hey, we need more men to go and be a part of this celebration. Like, do you want to come? So now he gets to like, go to Normandy and see it. And he said it's really cool because what they do to honor all the fallen soldiers is someone reads aloud what was happening like literally minute by minute and every time a soldier dies per minute they like have this like a stencil that they put on the ground and they put like the wet sand or something yeah and then like slowly like all these volunteers like so you're literally seeing the like bodies pile up yeah and you can see the whole thing it sounds amazing i can't wait to like hear about it once he actually goes but so cool i know it's a lot of military remembrances going on right now of course (laughs) but we're not here to talk about normandy no we're here to talk about herstory on the rocks with katie and Allie. this is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history we talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance but keep in mind we are drinking the entire time and we are not historians no not even close we do our best (laughs) this is it though and this is our alphabet season yes it is so we have uh the next letters i think i'm k and And i'm l L. we're like almost halfway through the alphabet right isn't like m the middle who knows? I feel like once you hit LMNOP, <laughs> LMNOP. that's like yeah. the section where you really know. Yeah. Now you're getting into like... That's the refrain. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the bridge. Um. <laughs> um, but before we get into the stories, because it's going to be a really exciting night, we have a, a criminal and a crime fighter tonight that we're talking about just so happened um but while we're telling their stories you're probably busy trying to erase your internet history so you don't become a criminal yes exactly (laughs) so you're doing that your hands are flying over the keyboards like a hacker in a sci-fi movie yeah and so you can't take your hands off the keys of your keyboard the podcast is playing from your phone so we're going to describe them for you so you don't have to stop what you're doing and google them on your phone. Yeah. You, you don't have time. You can't look these people up. <laughs> so we're going to describe them for you. We're going to get a little physical, physical. Allie, who are you doing and what does she look like? So I am doing a woman named Dr. Linda Hazard. Oh, she's a doctor. Well. <laughs> <laughs> and she has like a square face with dark hair that's pulled back into a bun. She wore a really like the, that traditional like long black Victorian dress with long sleeves and like a high okay. collar, mm-hmm. like full coverage. But her eyes are kind of dark and beady mm-hmm. and she had almost this creepy smile smile Mm. but not quite a smile Mm -hmm. she looks very sinister um and many of her pictures her head is like slightly tilted to the side like she's trying to size you up for all your work okay interesting so that's who i'm doing (laughs) who are you doing i am doing kate morn pi uh according to kate's boss kate was a quote commanding person with clear-cut expressive features a slender 
brown-haired woman, graceful in her movements and self-possessed. Her features, although not what could be called handsome or beautiful, were decidedly of an intellectual cast. Her face was honest, which could cause one in distress instinctively to select her as a confidant. Mm. So, in short, she was a skinny, brunette, East Coast chick um, that was pretty, but they said she was like, an east coast pretty so she's like east coast 10 west coast like six okay is what he's saying so she's like (laughs) really like boss yes and the most important part about her is that she is pretty and confident and she could blend in with just about any group of people making her the perfect private detective Ooh. (laughs) and she's an 1800s woman so she is in the big gowns and whatever and Mm -hmm. if she was uh you know on reconnaissance in the south she'd be wearing some big debutante style dresses and she would dress a little more up which is very exciting oh there's an actress that she looks like and i can't like did you ever see the edge of 17 i haven't she looks like the main girl's best friend in that movie okay that's what she looks like to me Hmm. um but yeah, if you look at pictures of her. So yeah. yeah that's well, you guys look Kate it up when you're done like. wiping your internet history. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> <laughs> don't look it up. But yeah, you should look them up. <laughs> look it up. See what she looks like. Um, but also, if um, before we talk about the drink, we should say we got a wonderful email from we Trish. Did. Trish, thank you. Oh my gosh. It also made me feel good because like I cried. We both cried during that episode. And yeah. I was like, are we being crazy yeah. right now? <laughs> so she emailed us about the Girl Scout and Ida B. Wells episode. And I've maybe cried five times on the podcast. And that was one of them. It was one of them. Yeah. It was For really sure. emotional. It was touching. Um, it was very, very touching. Yeah. And it was touching to Trish, too. So, Trish, mm-hmm. thank you. We love hearing that people are actually listening and that they like what's going on. Yeah. So I don't think you're going to cry during this one. No. Um, mm-hmm. But... <laughs> Not mine either. But um, tell me what I'm drinking. Okay. So this is called Kate Save America. <laughs> it is scotch, apple brandy, maraschino cherry juice, Angostura bitters, and you top the whole thing off with just a little bit of club soda and you garnish with a maraschino cherry. Cheers. Cheers. Mm. Yeah, we don't do a lot of scotch on here. We don't. That's interesting. What do they say? Scotch is it's musky, peaty, musky. That's like what a sweater is in a closet. <laughs> it's peaty. Doesn't have enough peat. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I wanted it to because I was thinking about like what do detectives drink, and I was like, yeah. they. Like, I feel like they always sit down with like a glass of like whiskey on the rocks, and I yeah. was like, but Kate's a little different, so I yeah. feel like she would be drinking scotch. And this is it's almost pink, mm-hmm. and. You, because of that, you look at it and you think it should taste sweet. Yeah, but it doesn't. It does not taste sweet at all. Um, and also, I kind of wanted it to be a little pink because she works for the Pinkerton Detective <sighs> Agency. Look at you. <laughs> look at you. All right. So what do you know about Kate Warren? Um, I only know that she's a detective <gasps> from the 1800s. Yeah. I literally only what you just said. Okay. I have no insider information on this chick so i'm excited for the k of kate which also tell them about your struggle oh my real gosh. quick. well i was having a hard time with k because like i was telling ali earlier all the historic catherines are with c's yeah. and any other k name is like fairly modern like yeah. kimberly and you know kitty and whatever all these like more modern names i was having a really hard time (laughs) so then i was like i have all these books about famous women in history so i opened up the um cocktail one actually Mm. um and the very first 
cocktail for the first woman was called Warning Shot, which I was like, damn, that's a really good name. Mm. Uh, and it was for Kate Warren, the very first one. I couldn't believe it. I was having such a hard time finding a K. Well, thanks, cocktail book. Thank you. And thank you for to Christy Fitzpatrick, for- Christy with a C, um, <laughs> for recommending that book to us. Perfect. Mm, excellent. All right. So are you ready to get into this? I really am. So my sources are an article by Linda Harris Sittig, the podcast Ridiculous History, and of course, Wikipedia. One hot summer day in 1856, an attractive, dark-haired 23-year-old woman walked into the Pinkerton Detective Agency and said that she was there responding to a job listing. Mr. Alan Pinkerton himself, the founder of this famed agency, looked her over and said, I'm sorry, we're not looking for any more secretaries. Thank you. She said, I didn't come here to be a secretary. I came here to be a detective because I want to do this job and you need me to do this job. You mean like (laughs) the whole premise of the movie Zootopia? Did not see (laughs) You didn't see Zootopia? No. Oh Is this God. what it was about? It, well, Is it based on Kate Warren? I think maybe. It's a little girl bunny who wants to be a detective. But oh. all the detectives are like the rhinos and the hippos. <laughs> They're like the big animals. Yeah. I think it might be close. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, and of course, I'm like writing how i believe this conversation went obviously this is not verbatim so no you were there fly on the wall recorded it uh so mr pinkerton scoffed at her he said women aren't detectives verbatim you can leave now verbatim (laughs) (laughs) she stood her ground and she laid it out she says look you do fine work here but there are some things that men simply cannot do you need someone who can move a little more freely among women who can get the inside scoop. You can't walk up to a random woman and start talking to her without raising suspicion, let alone join a lady's luncheon during gossip hour. This is a quote from her. She said, I could be most useful in worming out secrets in many places, which would be impossible for a male detective. Because loose lips Mm -hmm. sink ships. She also pointed out to him that men love bragging to attractive young women at parties about their dalliances. And... She was, again, like we said a couple times, a very attractive young woman. And I say it multiple times because every, like, account of her is, like, and she was really pretty. <laughs> like, Mr. Especially, like, Alan Pinkerton's, like, writings of her. He's like, she was really pretty. She's so cute. <laughs> and then she caught him in his own bullshit. She said, and I could be useful because people underestimate women. You underestimated me as soon as I walked in the door. Ooh. So what do you think is going to go happen? When I go out on a case, no one will even notice me. I'll be a fly on the wall. Smart, smart, smart. So he's listening to her and he's just like not quite convinced. So he sent her away. But she kept coming back. So a lot of people will tell this story and say that he hired her on the spot, but really he didn't. It so took he a turned couple her meetings. away. Yeah, he turned her away. But she kept coming back and eventually he agreed and hired her. And with that, Kate Warren if that is her real name, became the first female private investigator in the United States. Oh. And eventually, some would consider her the first Secret Service agent. Huh. Really? Uh-huh. We'll get into it. What? Like all good secretive people, we don't really know that much about Kate Warren's life at all. Uh, we think she was born about 1833 in Erin, New York, to a large lower-class family. Her father was a minister and... 
We know that she was burdened with helping run the household at a very young age. So I'm guessing that means her mother may have passed away. Um, And so because she had such a big burden on her, she was also not traditionally educated, um, but she definitely had some street smarts. And Kate dreamed of kind of running away from this lifestyle, and she really wanted to become an actress. She wouldn't become an actress. She wouldn't reach that dream. But she absolutely had some solid acting skills that we will get into later. (laughs) And then we think that she was married but became a widow in her early 20s. But many historians think that this might not be true. There's no record of a Kate Warren being married or having a deceased husband. So it could be two things. She could have changed her name because she tweaked the name Kate Warren a lot because you could kind of mishear it a lot. Mm. She'd be like, oh, no, I'm Kat Warren or I'm Kate Warrington or I'm like so-and-so Warren, you know, or whatever. So it was a kind of like very maskable name. Mm. So people think that maybe that wasn't her real name. Um, And but also there's a second theory that she could have just lied about being a widow Being a single woman by choice at this time was not a good position to be in. And if you didn't get married, you kind of had to accept a life as like even more of a second class citizen. Yeah. I was going to say maybe even like the detective Mm -hmm. place is like you got to pretend that you're a widow. Yeah. Because because they're more respectable. Right. More respectable. And then it's like more respectable for the men to be speaking to you. Yeah. Because people were very uncomfortable around single women. So if you were like, oh, no, I'm a widow, they'd be like, oh, thank God. Okay. Well, now we can hang out now that you're a widow. (laughs) I don't know why it gave her this extra social cachet, but it did. (laughs) Um, Gave Gave her a little bit of society cred. Yes. And it offered her just like more freedom she could talk to more people she was just a little more mobile than a woman who just chose to be single (laughs) what's my dream to be a widow (laughs) so kate quickly proved her usefulness in the pinkerton detective agency in one of her early hallmark cases she was sent down to montgomery alabama to investigate an embezzlement case It was suspected that a Mr. Maroney, an expressman, had stolen $50,000 from the Adams Express Company, which is like, I think, like a shipping company. Mm. So Kate went down. She donned a really convincing fake Southern accent, (laughs) dressed in her best Southern Belle floofy dresses, called herself Mrs. Potter, and seamlessly floated into Montgomery High Society as if she was born and raised there. That seems hard to do. I think it'd be really hard to do. I mean, she is born and raised in like New York and Chicago. Like she is a northerner at a time when like it's really impressive to me because it's not like she could like look up on YouTube like southern accent. Like that'd be really hard to I think mimic it. Or this even time. like social mannerisms are yes, so, different so different in like the south at that yeah. time. So, but yeah, she did her reconnaissance. She like, I think went down maybe to like a slightly different area and mm-hmm. like researched Felt it how out. to do this. Mm-hmm. And then, so when she went to Montgomery, she was like very prepared. And soon she started casually bumping into Mrs. Maroney, the wife of this accused thief. They started hanging out. They started becoming friends. And soon Mrs. Maroney started letting all kinds of beans spill over afternoon tea. (laughs) She not only confessed to Kate that her husband did indeed steal them $50,000, but then 
She goes, oh, yeah, and it's right here. We hid it in Jenkinstown, Pennsylvania <laughs> at this exact location. <laughs> Let me give you the longitude and latitude. Yeah. Do you need me to write it down? <laughs> I can write it down for you. It's just unbelievable. So all in all, because of Kate and her expert skills, they recovered $39,515. Obviously, he'd already spent a good bit. Um, and Mr. Maroney was arrested and sentenced to 10 years in prison. And this was like a real common thing with Kate. Like she could get in with these women because she just had a very like trusting nature, you know, mm. and people felt like they could really trust her. Like one of the podcasts, um, did you ever watch, you watch the Sopranos? Yeah. Okay. Not all of it, but so I don't know if you ever got to the part where Adriana, an FBI agent, like pretended to be her friend oh. and it kind of felt like that, but like. So that's like kind of what they kind of equated it to. If you've ever seen that show in that part, you know, just these women probably felt very lonely and they're like, ah, oh, here's my cool new widow friend, Mrs. Right. Potter. I love Somebody her. Somebody for me to hang out with. <laughs> uh, another time she befriended yet another wife, this time of a suspected murderer, uh, which led to his conviction. Um, I wish I could have found more on this case, but I didn't. So wait, this is interesting. She's going to different states and stuff. Yeah. Is she working for the federal government or just like, why does Pinkerton have districts in these other places so pinkerton is just a private investigator okay so people, so people are hire hiring them. yeah got it yeah I see, I see. so in the case of the express company the owner of the express company hired pinkerton because he was like i tried going to the police and there's no evidence that he stole this money but i fucking know that he did okay and the police aren't at this time especially are not going to you know, do any reconnaissance or anything like that. You know, you had to get someone who was going to get nitty gritty and like not exactly care if they were like breaking laws to okay. get the information. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. <laughs> yeah. So people are individually calling them. Got it. And hiring them. Uh, then in one of her kookiest cases, she actually thwarted a double murder plot. So a man named Captain Sumner was worried that someone was trying to kill him. So he Same. hired the Pinkerton Agency to investigate. So for this one, Kate posed as a fortune teller named Lucille. She rented out a whole shop, dressed it up, did her research on not only fortune telling, but also on her mark, a woman named Annie Thayer, who was Captain Sumner's own sister. <laughs> So what did she want to hear as a fortune? <laughs> so when Annie walked into the fortune telling shop, office, whatever, she was convinced immediately of Kate's supernatural gifts because she said Kate knew things about or Lucille. <laughs> she said she knew things about me that she just couldn't have known otherwise. And she's like, Yeah, it's because I've been tailing you for <laughs> like a few weeks. Don't now. you recognize me? <laughs> So because she like really believed that like she was a legit fortune teller, she trusted her a hundred percent and it didn't take long before she was divulging her deepest, darkest <laughs> secrets to her. <laughs> so Kate soon found out that Annie was a mistress. Uh, her lover, Mr. Patmore was married and had asked her to help him with the very special task of poisoning his wife so they could run away together. And he goes, and once we're done with that, we can then kill your brother, Captain Summer, Sumner, I'm guessing for like money or something. Cause I don't know if he had any like 
other family. So maybe she would get his inheritance. I don't know. So Kate figured out the plan, had them arrested, thwarted the plan and saved two lives. They didn't get to go through with their poisonings. That's great. (laughs) So after the huge success of these cases and some other ones, you know, that, you know, they just kind of say like, she just kind of kept doing this of like getting involved with the sisters or the wives or whatever. And solving all these things um (laughs) alan pinkerton was now totally team kate he was so enthralled by her and he would often write about how impressive she was even once saying she was a brilliant conversationalist and when so disposed could be quite vivacious (laughs) and in his memoirs he said out of all my time doing pi work she was in my top five detectives of all time. Like she was so good and so talented. He just, he fucking loved her and he was so impressed with her and the success of this female detective experiment. <laughs> that it sounds like investigative journalism, how people were so surprised that a woman yeah. could do it. They were yeah. like, really? Exactly. So then he was like, you know what? I think we should get more women to be detectives. So he asked her to organize the female detective bureau, which would encourage other women to become detectives. Harriet the spy, right? Exactly. (laughs) But soon she was on another mission, her most famous and most important one. On February 3rd, 1861, she was sent to Maryland at the request of Samuel H. Felton. He was the president of the Philadelphia, Wilmington and Baltimore Railroad. Um, And he called Pinkerton because he was very worried about something bad happening on one of his trains. So Maryland was a very divided state during the Civil War um, because, unfortunately, still, like, there's a large population of Maryland that thinks that we're, like, Southern, which... I do not feel that way. Um, (laughs) I had a student ask me today, what's the most racist county in Maryland? (laughs) And I was like, "Uh, Cecil? Yeah. (laughs) Harford's giving it a run for its money, though. Um, (laughs) So it's not surprising that there was a large secessionist circle here in Maryland, (laughs) a.k.a. high-profile folks who were trying to secede from the U.S., keep their slaves, and, of course, stop Abraham Lincoln from becoming president. Yeah, because also our slaves were not freed in the Emancipation Proclamation. Because the slaves in the North weren't freed. The Emancipation Proclamation from Lincoln just freed the slaves in the Confederacy. Oh. And we didn't secede, so. (laughs) Wow, that's weird. I did not know that. the Northerners on his side. Oh, my gosh. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. Yeah, after the war, obviously, all the slaves were freed. But, Um, so... Kate put on her black and white secessionist ribbon, which is so ironic that it's black and white. It's like, fuck you. Um, Her big, floofy southern skirt and, of course, her old, reliable southern accent. And she started spying on these secessionist circles in Maryland. At this house. Yeah, this house that we're in. (laughs) Um, See, this is a time where she is... Her past cases are really building up on each other. And she was like, great. I'll just say that I'm visiting Baltimore from Montgomery. I know so much about that area. That Miss like, Worthington Yeah, is there. she's like, nobody's going to suspect a thing. And I'm so well-versed in it, you know. Um, she knew the language that the Southerners re- like to use. And so, again, she just blended in really seamlessly. Um And it was during one of these reconnaissance missions that she learned of a very serious threat to the president-elect. During his trek down to Washington, D.C. for the inauguration, 
Abraham Lincoln was going to be assassinated in Baltimore. So an Italian man named Cipriato Ferrandini had been offering his advice to this secessionist, secessionist, whatever you call him, <laughs> um, from his time in the Italian Revolution. And he goes, look, I'm going to lay it out for you. Here's how you assassinate a leader. <laughs> I've had experience. I know. Well, John Wilkes Booth, also from Baltimore, <laughs> yeah. he figured it out. Let me tell you. <laughs> I was like, wow, he should just never set foot in Maryland. Listen, we've got some gunslingers yeah. here. <laughs> like, still. Um, so he said, first... You have to do the assassination here in Baltimore because there's no way around Baltimore when you're going to D.C. Yeah. So, like, he has to come through here. There's no rerouting. <laughs> Second, in Baltimore, you have to change trains. Mm -hmm. There's a disconnect in the line. So we know he's going to be getting off the train at some point in here. Probably at the roundhouse. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so the plan is when he gets off the train we start a fake fight amongst ourselves to create kind of a chaotic, angry mob situation. Distraction. Mm -hmm. Then when everyone is distracted by this angry mob, we flank Lincoln and we stab him or shoot him to death. Ooh, like Caesar. Mm -hmm. Okay. He said, and then the killers or killers, whoever is going to be doing it, will run away in the chaos of the crowd and we've chartered a small boat in the Chesapeake Bay. So you just run, get on the boat, and you're off. You're in Pennsylvania before you know it. Mm -hmm. Or Virginia. Probably trying to go south. Yeah, they yep. were going to go yep. south. They were going to Virginia. <laughs> um, was John Wilkes Booth a part of this committee? I don't think so. Okay, no, not yet. I don't think so. Because he's like a famous actor. I didn't actor. hear his name. So. Yeah. It would have been like they would have had to say it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Kate hears this plan, and she's like, we've got to do something about this like <laughs> because the Pinkertons and I believe Kate, they were like staunch abolitionists. So they're like, mm -hmm. we cannot let this happen. So they go to Lincoln and they're like, you are going to be killed in Baltimore. We need to take some precautions to make sure you're safe. And Lincoln does not believe them. He's like, I'm sure it's just worthless gab. People are always saying, I want to kill the president. And they never <laughs> fucking do. <laughs> he goes, I don't think that they're serious. Meanwhile, Kate is like, they have a boat set up. They have the getaway car in a the dinghy. harbor. There's a dinghy it's in there. the harbor. They are very serious about this. Money has been invested. It is pulled up on Fort McKenzie yeah. as we speak. They, they had people draw names to figure out who was going to be the one to shoot you. They are very serious. Wow. And fun fact, this Cipriati, Cipriati guy, he was actually really smart because he they're basically drawing straws to see who would do it. And he had multiple people pick the I'm going to kill him straw because he said you always need a backup in case the one guy you pick chickens out, mm. which I thought was very interesting. Very and JFK I don't think he situation. told everyone. Oh. I don't think he told them that like multiple people were going to pick that straw. So Lincoln finally agrees to go along with their devious plan to save his life. So the plan is that Lincoln is not going to take his scheduled train. He's going to sneak out from the dinner that he's at and he's going to take an earlier train and he's not going to travel in the first class like presidential car he's going to travel in a regular sleeper car for the normies the just one that you and i would be <laughs> just the everyday mm -hmm. person 
He's also going to wear a bit of a disguise. He's going to wear an old traveling shoe suit and a shawl around his shoulders and to make no him top look- hat. Oh yeah, that was a big thing. <laughs> That's the thing. There is one more key to the disguise, and he had to ditch the stovepipe hat. <laughs> and he really did not want to do this because if there's one thing we know about Lincoln, he fucking loved that hat. And they're like. Dude, you love it so much that it's going to be a dead giveaway that it's you. <laughs> Just like, take the fucking hat off. It's fucking Luke Danes. So, <laughs> yes. like, we don't need the hat. It's fine. So he took the hat off and he put on kind of like a knit cap and his shawl. So he's like supposed to look very sick so that no one bothers him. And then to make sure that everything went smoothly, the Pinkerton agency put their best girl right in the middle of the action Kate would pose as Lincoln's sister to personally escort him on and off the train. So when she got to the station, she warmly greeted her brother, asking him if he was feeling better, loudly declaring, because you've been so feeble and ill. (laughs) And then she kindly escorted her hunched over coughing companion onto the train and kindly asked the conductor if he could seat them far away from the other people because she wasn't sure if her brother was contagious or not. Gross. <laughs> Gross. Don't you hate that though when people are like talking but just loud enough so other people can hear uh-huh. and they're doing it on purpose. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like exactly. nobody cares about your conversation. No. <laughs> so she's granted her request but then she's just alone in a sleeper car with motherfucking Abraham Lincoln with only a pistol to protect both of them from a potential angry mob assassination attempt perfect when she later recounted this uh she said she didn't sleep at all that night because she was so nervous and anxious the president had never needed a personal bodyguard like this so this makes many people regard kate as the first secret service agent ever isn't that cool that is really cool (laughs) because it like wasn't a thing it wasn't a thing they were just like Colts players in the 60s. Just normal fucking people. <laughs> They're just like working in the steel, <laughs> the steel mills around here. So. Beth- Wait, I lost it. Bethlehem Steel. Yep, Damn. Bethlehem Steel. So they get to Baltimore and they're still really nervous about the idea of Lincoln exiting this train car to walk the like, I think it was like a mile through Baltimore to get to the next train. They're like, we can't have you just like out on the streets of this dangerous fucking city (laughs) even in your disguise so they come up with another plan rather than have lincoln get out and transfer to the other station when the train stops they take his sleeper car off the train attach it to horses and then the horses walk the train car through the streets of baltimore a mile where camden yards is now so like you know it was cobblestone alley to get to the other train and they just hitch it on and then he never leaves the train car. <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> That's insane. And then he's whisked off to Washington, D.C. And on March 4th, 1841, he is inaugurated as the 16th president of the United States, which would give him the power to eventually give the Emancipation Proclamation ending slavery in the U.S. Mm. Obviously, that whole story is also very much more complicated, and a lot of people were not freed when that yeah. happened, as we said earlier. Um, but it's safe to say that you, the United States would be a very different place if it wasn't for Kate Warren P.I. 
he hadn't even been inaugurated yet. Isn't that crazy? It, it would have changed the whole like outcome of yeah, everything. It really would have. Because the if he wasn't inaugurated, the South wouldn't have left the Union. Mm-hmm. That was why they started to leave. Mm-hmm. <gasps> I know. It's pretty crazy. Lincoln did acknowledge their cleverness and bravery, especially Kate's. And he told her, I'm, again, making this quote a lot more simple than it is. But he said, Mm -hmm. I am very aware that you put yourself in danger for me. And I want you to know that I really appreciate it. Like, Uh it was a very sweet quote. He was like, (laughs) I'm acknowledging that you are brave and that it was kind of an inconvenience for you to put yourself on the line. (laughs) (laughs) So... Post-Baltimore plot, Kate became the female superintendent of detectives for the Pinkerton Agency. No way! She continued hiring women as detectives, which became crucial to the success of the Union throughout the Civil War because female spies were really important to the Union. During the Civil War, they were bi- a big deal. Yeah, and that's because of Kate Warren. Yeah, like, and we've done some. have trusted them. We've done some female yeah. spies. And it's great, too, because then, like, the Pinkerton Agency, like, became, like, Lincoln's personal secret service because of the success of Kate and the Baltimore plot thwarting. So like the Pinkerton group later became like the base of the fucking secret service. Like they based what they did off of this. It's really fucking cool. Um, and of course during the civil war, Kate would frequent parties in the South as old Mrs. Potter to try and figure out just what those crazy boys were up to (laughs) down there. (laughs) The good old boys. Uh, after the civil war, she foiled a few more murder plots and, you know, kept hiring female detectives, just doing all these cool things. Um, I don't, there weren't many details about any of these specific cases, which kind of bummed me out. Um, she's just so fucking secretive. But that one is really cool. <laughs> it's very cool. I mean, protecting the president's yes. life. <laughs> so whenever new female recruits would come in, Alan Pinkerton would give them a little speech. He said, in my service, you will serve your country better than on the field. If you agree to come aboard, you will go into training with the head of my female detectives, Kate Warren. She has never let me down. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> But unfortunately, when Kate was about 35 years old, she caught pneumonia or tuberculosis, something in the lungs, and she died. So young! 35 years old on January 28th, 1868. So sad. And so she was buried in the Pinkerton family plot at Graceland Cemetery in Chicago, Illinois. And in one of the last twists of you'll never quite figure out who I really am... Her last name is misspelled, if that is even is her real last name. <laughs> that is so crazy. And that's crazy. Kate Warren. Isn't she so cool? She is so cool. I can't believe she died so young. It's so upsetting because she could have done so much more. Like, I think about how neat it would have been to see her retire and then, like, write a tell-all book. You know what I'm that's saying? That's what we need. That's what we need. And I think I saw online... That Emily Blunt is supposed to play her in a biopic because perfect. She needs to be a movie. Perfect. She's crazy. Yeah. So yeah, very very cool. And like you don't know a lot about her, so like you know you could Hollywood that up. I don't care. Oh, <laughs> we need a historical fiction out here for uh-huh. this. <laughs> what an amazing story of like triumph and like crime solving. Mm-hmm. Um, are you ready to hear about like 
the failure of the entire police department. Of course, always. Great. <laughs> um, let's go get more drinks. Let's do it. With very red cocktails, I can smell some tomato juice, I think. Yeah, I do not know if this is going to taste good, but it is so crucial that it is the way it is. Okay. So I guess you want to know what it is? Yeah, I really do. Okay, so it's called Red Flags. Ooh. Like there are red flags all over the place. (laughs) Feel free to call out the red flags as we go through this story. And it is pureed tomato i just use v8 yeah, i was like i'm go. not gonna chop and no, blend tomatoes that's crazy and then a little bit of water lemon juice simple syrup salt vodka elderflower liqueur and then you garnish it with the head of an asparagus half of a cherry tomato and a basil leaf <laughs> a basil a basil i love it cheers cheers mm. It is wild. <laughs> I think more salt. It's like a little too sweet. You for think me. it is? I don't think it's sweet at all. Really? I think it tastes like tomato. <laughs> it tastes to me like if you put sugar on like a slice of tomato. <laughs> I can see that. Yep, it is. Maybe add more salt, everyone. <laughs> or like I think like like a little bit of like lemon juice mm. would be really nice. There was in. lemon juice. Oh, there in is. No. Mm-hmm. Oh not enough i'm not cutting it not enough (laughs) not enough i hate like i'm not even a big bloody mary fan really so like tomato based cocktails like i struggle with as it is Mm, i love a bloody mary actually my second sip goes a little smoother now it tastes like tomato soup Mm, that's what it tastes like like that like a chilled should i have made grilled cheese I wish that would have been great to serve with this. Just like little mini grilled cheese. Well, you'll find out why I couldn't. Okay. I'm really curious as to like how this connects with everything. Okay. (laughs) Well, I guess first, tell me what you know about Linda Hazard. I don't know anything. I only know because you said she was a murderer. Yeah. So that's all I know. I don't know anything else. Okay. Well, Linda Hazard, I didn't even know existed. She was suggested or requested by a listener, Susanna. And I'm really excited to get into her story because I had no idea that this was a person. But apparently on the um, upper, like, Northwest, like, mm-hmm. if you're, you live in, like, Washington or Oregon, like, this is such a common story. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Everybody knows who she is. Okay, so my sources are um, Greg Olson wrote a book called Starvation Heights, and it's great. You've got to read it. If you're interested in this story, please read that book. It goes into so much more detail. I got some of this from What You Missed in History Class podcast, which we love. Mm -hmm. A lot on YouTube. There was a historylink.com bio, Wikipedia, and then Smithsonian Magazine wrote an article as well. You know what? Now that you said starvation, I think I do know this story. Okay, good. <laughs> okay, good. I'm excited. <laughs> All right. But I don't really remember it very well, but it was crazy. Mm-hmm. Okay. She's a nut. Okay. Mm. Linda Hazard was born Linda Laura Burfield. Lots in- of two L's in her yeah, name. Yeah. La, la, la. I was really committed. I understood the assignment, Katie. Okay. Linda Laura Burfield is... Born in 1867 in Carver, Minnesota. Minnesota. <laughs> and she was one of eight children to Susanna Neal and Montgomery 
Burfield. I know literally nothing about her life growing up. <laughs> nothing at all. There's no stuff on her childhood. All I know is that at 18 years old, she got married and had two kids. Okay. Like right away. But then in 1898, at about 21 years old, she left her husband, left her children, and goes to Minneapolis hmm. to pursue a career. Okay. In Just, medicine. Oh, in medicine. Okay. Kind of. Oh. <laughs> so in Minneapolis, she meets the man of her dreams, Samuel Hazard. Oh, okay. this is her real ding, last, ding, ding, name. last name. This is not a bit of a name. <laughs> so he was a West Point graduate, which sounds really great, but he ruined his military career by misappropriating army funds and got a dishonorary discharge. Mm. He was also a drinker and a swindler who had been married twice before, and he didn't even bother to completely divorce his second wife before he married Linda. Because of this, there was a public trial for bigamy that ended up in him going to jail <laughs> for two years. But in 1906, Sam gets out of prison and they decide they're going to go to Washington State to start their lives over. Okay. So they're just like, we need to leave Minneapolis. Get out <laughs> no of here. No one likes us here. No, we got to start over, <laughs> make a name for ourselves elsewhere. So once... In Seattle, Linda really begins practicing medicine. Her goal being to build this big uh, sanitarium where she could practice naturalistic medicine. Linda didn't have a medical degree, but because um, Washington had this policy where if you practiced naturalistic medicine, you could kind of be grandfathered in because this is when doctoral degrees, MDs just started being a thing. Right. So if you had been practicing medicine for a really long time, they didn't want to all of a sudden be like, now you can't. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. That so actually does. It does make sense because it was just all new in the mid seven eighteen hundreds. Like we didn't know that there was going to be like, oh, you must go to this school and have an eight year mm -hmm. degree, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So she gets grandfathered in. Probably not a good thing, even though the loophole does make sense. She found interest under this uh, guy's theories, Edward Hooker Dewey, who was a doctor well known as a proponent of fasting. He came up with something called the No Breakfast Plan and wrote a book called The Gospel of Health. He is very similar, his ideas, to like what we would call today intermittent fasting, where mm. it's like you don't eat from this hour to this hour, and then you eat. Okay. And that's his whole like thing. Linda also wrote a book, but not just one book, like several books in her time. One called Fasting for the Cure of Disease, which is her most famous one, and eventually two others, Diet and Disease and Systemic Cleaning. Locals, especially the free thinkers, really embrace her medical theories. She believed that by fasting, you could regain your health. She believed that disease could be cured by fasting that allowed the digestive system to rest. Just like if you go on a long run, you're not supposed right. to run the next day because your muscles need to rest so they can grow. Okay. Fasting, in her mind, though, could cure anything from a toothache to tuberculosis. I don't think that's true. Yeah. Don't eat. <laughs> Starve a fever, starve a cold, starve a toothache, oh, starve tuberculosis. My God. Just don't eat. It'll be fine. She believed the source of all disease was impure blood. Red flag. Brought <sighs> out by impaired digestion. Okay. That's my first red flag. The, impure, <laughs> the phrase impure blood is a red flag. Oh, my God. To me, always. Dude, all of this. I mean, 
<laughs> I don't even think that's the first one. Yeah. <laughs> There's going to be so many more. I was worried when it was grandfathered into <laughs> Red flag holistic number one, medicine. grandfathered in. <laughs> um, As a young woman, she's yeah. grandfathered in. <laughs> Her fasting, though, was extremely limited calories. As I said before, there are other proponents of fasting, but Linda embellished a bit. Her medical treatment regime included daily enemas. Oh, God. That went on for hours involving 12 <gasps> quarts of water. Oh, my. That's like flushing out the butthole, right? Your, yeah. Your entire system is being flushed out every Every day. day. And this is a reminder that regular enemas are extremely dangerous and take away the ability to alleviate your bowels on your own. Right. Because it destroys your muscles inside. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Don't do daily enemas. Only, <laughs> only have an enema if a doctor tells you to. Yeah. But not a doctor Linda has. Yeah. <laughs> a real doctor. Not a doctor who's been grandfathered in. <laughs> oh my God. So step one is the extreme fasting. Step two are the daily enemas. And step three is massage treatment, which sounds great. But to her, that was beating her fists against her patient's foreheads and backs. Why the forehead? No idea. What? I thought you were going to say like the stomach. No. Forehead and back. Oh, my God. One alarmed witness reported her doing this so vigorously while shouting, eliminate! Oh, my God. (laughs) Red flag. (laughs) No shouting, eliminate, please. Oh, my God. Okay. Um, In general, she believes she could rid the body of toxins that caused imbalances. She said, quote, and this is a real quote, appetite is craving, hunger is desire. Craving is never satisfied, but desire is relieved when want is supplied. Okay. <laughs> I also, I feel like I'm getting like flashes of like things that like, you know, wellness people, like influencers mm-hmm. talk about on Instagram and stuff like that. And it can get so dangerous. So I'm like very concerned about this. It is super concerning. So from here on out, I'm not going to tell her story chronologically because that's not as fun. (laughs) I knew all the nitty gritty details to start with. So I am going to jump to two women who I think it's the best to tell her story through. Okay. Also, this cocktail got much better as I went on. Hey guys, I really enjoyed it. Actually. It's already done. Do we need more alcohol? (laughs) Oh, I have a beer. Okay. Well, tell me if you need more. I will. Thank you. There's more where that came from. I don't fast, especially via alcohol. Nope. (laughs) <laughs> nope. Abstain, I think it's called, right? Sure. <laughs> Fasting from alcohol, abstaining. Okay. The two sisters are Dorothea and Claire Williamson. They're two very wealthy sisters in their early 30s. They are in financial control of a large British estate, but they're also like a little bit of like hypochondriacs. They are very consumed by making sure that their small medical ailments were not indicators of a larger medical problem in the future. They were not seriously ill. Like they complained of like swollen glands, like a typical 1800s, 30 year old thing. Right. They were both vegetarians. They wouldn't wear corsets because they were worried it was bad for their insides. So they're like very healthy people. 
Like all that makes sense. Yes. Of like total sense. These are things that other people are doing and they don't make us feel good. So like until they get involved in this cult and I'm going to say now that I think she is a cult leader. I totally agree. And I want you to like point those signs out to me because as I was doing this research, I was like, oh shit. Like there's a lot of things here that like are indicative to like leading people down a really dangerous path. Well, it's interesting too, because, because one of the two things I'm noticing right now is that she is the person that has all the answers. That is sign number one of a cult is like a point person. Mm -hmm. That's like, if you don't listen to me, something terrible is going to happen. Yeah. And number two, a big part of any cult is calorie restriction, because if you control what and how you're, like followers are eating and how they're consuming food it's so much easier to control them because when you are starving you're a lot more <laughs> you're weak coerceable yeah. yes like physically and mentally it breaks you down and you'd lose your will right like so i would say this is definitely a goal definitely <laughs> so the girls when they hear of linda are living in british columbia canada and read an advertisement for Linda's first book in the Seattle newspaper that they get. They order the book and along with it receive a brochure promoting her Institute of Natural Therapeutics. They thought, oh my God, this sounds amazing. Let's go to Washington and go fasting for the cure for this like a natural medical binge. Like it'll be great. However, they're not going to tell their family because the family's all already like super critical of their unorthodox like health mm-hmm. thoughts. So they're like, we're going to go somewhere and not tell our family where we're going. <gasps> they didn't tell anyone. Rule number one of like going somewhere is like telling someone where you're going to be. Also, another f- red flag of a yeah, cult. Like, big red flag. Tell your family where you're going. Like if if part of the cult is cutting off your family ties because there's no one to then stand up to the cult leader. Right. Exactly. So February, 1911, Dorothea and Claire visit Linda at her office in the Northern bank trust building, which seems pretty cool, right? Pretty solid. Mm -hmm. It's in a bank building. Mm -hmm. And she's like, listen, bad goes on. No, no, she must be official. (laughs) She has an office here. She's like, listen, my sanitarium's not totally set up yet. It's not ready, but I'll treat you in Seattle if you get some hotel rooms to board in. So the sisters get an apartment in Buena Vista or Buena Vista and settle in. During their treatment period, they survived on a thin vegetable broth. And what that was is two cups a day of water. Linda would boil tomatoes and asparagus in the water and then take the asparagus and tomatoes out and they would drink just that water okay for the entirety of the day two cups of that every day oh my god so i don't even understand why you need the enemas because you're not even producing like anything anything to get rid of um occasionally they would get some orange juice but no food no carbs no fats Oh my god! I also imagine like the sugar of the orange juice would like shock your like system. a high, like, like a total high. Oh my! Even god. when I drink a cup of orange yeah. juice, I'm like, <laughs> that'll do it. <laughs> Linda would come by pretty much daily and provide these hour-long enemas and pummeling massages. Oh. And for the enemas, she would have them stand over the bathtub and there would be like this leather hammock in there in case they passed out because they wouldn't be like strong enough to stand for that long while she shot water up their butt. (laughs) 
<laughs> I hate all of this. <laughs> it's terrible. Um, the massages were meant to like beat these girls pretty much. She was like punching them and leaving bruises on their body. All the while, as they are eating less and less, she starts asking questions about their business affairs <gasps> and starts saying, well, you shouldn't keep your diamond rings and your, you know, estate <sighs> deeds in your apartment because it's not safe. So I'm going to take them and keep them at my house <laughs> for now. By April, these women are emancipated and delirious. They're weak. They're probably starting to go blind. They can't sit, stand, or speak for long periods of time. Her institute is now ready and called Wilderness Heights, and they're transferred there by ambulance. They can't even, like, get there on their own. Oh, my God. Yeah. Just before the ambulance sets out, Linda's attorney obtained a shaky signature from Claire that got... 25 pounds of sterling a year for Hazards Institute. And if Claire dies, she wants her body cremated under the autopsy charge of Linda only. To destroy evidence that yeah. <laughs> she was like slowly, slowly murdering these women. I mean, red My flag. God. <laughs> red flag, right? That's yeah, red crazy. flag when you're like, I'll take care of their body after they die. Don't you worry. <laughs> and your diamonds aren't safe here. Yeah. Wink. <laughs> um, also, I just winked with both eyes. Yeah. So it's just a blink. <laughs> a double blink. <laughs> double wink blink. So it is nearly the end of April. April. Aper. And the sister's childhood nanny, Margaret Conway, receives this really cryptic telegram summoning her to visit Washington. The telegram's only a few words, and it's like this really shaky, messy handwriting, and it's nonsensical. So somehow, one of these women got a message. Got enough strength to be like, like... But it's a delirious message. She sets sail from Sydney, Australia. She's like, I'm going to Seattle, going across the Pacific. I got to get to my girls. Sam Hazard meets her on the boat who wants to visit and took Margaret to Linda's office in Seattle. There, Margaret's like, oh, by the way, Claire's dead <gasps> um, from a treatment she had as a child that I couldn't fix. Oh. And Dorothea is insane. That's what she tells her. Oh, my God. She is taken to the mortuary, and Linda, like, shows her this embalmed body, and Margaret's like, that's not Claire. Like, that's not her body. Like, her face was shaped differently. She had a different hair color. Obviously, she switched it out with the starving corpse so that she wouldn't know, like, she starved her to death. So she just found another body. I think she had an in with this mortuary because they did autopsies regularly for her and covered shit up. So that's not proven. But I think that she may have been paying them with a portion of what she stole from people. I was going to say, I mean, she's getting all these diamond rings. All it takes is one diamond ring to switch a fucking body. That's insane. Right. (sighs) Okay. Exactly. Following this, she's taken to the compound to visit Dorothea who was by now a human skeleton living in a cabin alone. It's like a shack. Her bones are pushing through her skin so much it looks painful. She says she can't even sit because there's no, like, cushion on her butt, (gasps) you know? like So her bones are just pushing into the chair. Um, Dorothea immediately sees Margaret and begs to be taken away. But the next day, withdraws her request. 
oh my God. big cult red flag when like you're like i want to leave and then you're like oh no i don't want to leave i thought yeah. i wanted to leave but i don't oh my god um she insisted that the cure was doing her a world of good and margaret was a lower class than them she had been their nanny so she felt bad disobeying them that's a very british thing mm -hmm. but she's also not gonna leave she's yeah. like i'm gonna stay here on this compound so margaret starts trying to sneak some rice and flour into her main source of nutrition the broth but also knows she can't give her too much solid food because then she would be vomiting in her weakened state. Yeah. And then Linda's going to know. Right. So although all the patients at this compound are usually separated from each other, they decide to have a 4th of July celebration. <laughs> Obviously with no beer or hot dogs or like right, whatever. Yeah. This is like the worst 4th of None July of ever. <laughs> None of them mud. Yeah. <laughs> but... There's two separate patients that approach Margaret at this cookout and are like, get us out of here. Like, we're in prison. We oh can't leave. And they're so weak. They can't refute Linda. Yeah. At this point, they are literally walking skeletons. So when they're like, I want to leave, she's like, no, you don't. And just doesn't do anything about it and doesn't give them any food. Yeah. Oh, my so, God. So... Then Margaret starts to notice that Linda was wearing Claire's beautiful silk clothes, like dead Claire. She's like, you're wearing her clothes, her expensive fucking clothing. You stole her clothes after she died. Oh, my God. She also learned that Dorothea had given Linda power of attorney over all their funds. Big red flag. Huge red flag. The clothes, the power of attorney, big red flags. Anytime you're... A friend, spiritual leader, wants to get involved legally with you, mm -hmm. that's a huge red flag. Yeah. <laughs> you cannot have my money. No. I'm not even legally bound to my husband, I don't think. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this is... I, I am, like, blown away by this. Linda has power over these people though somehow mm -hmm. she has this booming voice she has these dark eyes some people say it's like spiritualism or hypnotism but i really just think she was a, a cult leader yeah because she's just breaking their will successfully right. like every good cult leader does like mm -hmm. i think about you know like Again, like the one I'm always most interested in is Jim Jones because right. he did this. He mm -hmm. was a big on calorie restriction. Like they ate only like rice mm -hmm. for like every meal when they were, especially when they were in Jonestown. Yeah. And when you're not getting like any other form of food, like it's you bad start, for you. it's really Your bad Your body for starts you. to eat away at itself. Yeah. You like, lose like funk, like, like dexterity yeah and you just can't think straight so like you can't save yourself let alone other people if you can't think straight like yeah. it's very scary the way that they do it and then also the only sustenance you're getting the little much that it is is only from this one person so like they're your they're the source of you dying and also the only thing keeping you alive which is yeah. very it's a very precarious and scary position to be in it's dangerous because you can't leave yeah. Or you die. Or you die. And if you stay, you die. And also there's a big thing in cults where there's, um, and people don't talk about this enough, but there's like an embarrassment to admitting that you were wrong. Mm. And right. before things get too far where you're literally physically too weak, there's something in your head that's like, fuck, I put every- I'm an idiot. I, like I put, I, I put so many stakes into this. Like I bet a lot on this. And like my family told me I was being crazy- and what am I going to do? Go back and admit that 
I was being crazy. I was being crazy. Like, yeah. I think that's a really big part of people not leaving cults, especially like when they start to see red flags mm. and they're like, no, but I'm sure it's fine because other people are here and, and like other people are fine. No, it, it's fine because also like a lot of these things are very uh, financially draining and they're like, I couldn't have spent $10,000 of my money if this isn't real. Mm-hmm. And then it's like my, my family is going to be so disappointed that I bankrupt us. Yep. For this ridiculous lunatic thing. right really though everybody your family oh, just wants you back they just want you so, home You're just like, go home no be the brunt They're of the joke for like you. a little bit <laughs> um okay so dorothea is like a total mess margaret is like i've had enough we're leaving and linda is like actually you can't because during this time period linda had gotten legal guardianship over her like britney spears's dad judge i don't washington state get it together so she pretty much explains dorothy is going to spend the rest of her life here because she wants everything they have the whole british estate margaret decides okay she sneaks off the property cables the sister's uncle in portland and he shows up immediately Uh to like save them from this Dorothea, a grown-ass woman in her 30s, is 60 pounds. Oh, my God. That's, the, that's how much my 10-year-old daughter weighs. Oh, my God. 60 pounds. Linda had an all-top... Um, sorry. And Linda, at this point, has the audacity to present Margaret and the uncle with a bill for the girl's <gasps> stay. <gasps> which, in today's money, is $50,000. Oh, my God. <laughs> the uncle tries to talk her down um and says he's not gonna pay it but then he just negotiates a smaller ransom uh, to yeah, get yeah. dorothea out of there this so is not a bill they're all ransom. rich he just pays her and like let me take her out of here now the british vice council in tacoma are like you killed a really wealthy british woman and damn near killed another one can somebody in america please do something, do something yeah. about this and the county where Linda's, like, Wilderness Heights it was is like, sorry, we can't afford the proceedings. And Dorothea is like, pay for it out of the rest of my money. Like, pay for it. Get this woman in prison. So August 1911, Linda Hazard is arrested. And the Tacoma Daily News headline reads, officials expect to expose starvation atrocities. Now, here's the trial. But I want to go to what got us here because okay. these are not her first two victims. I was going to say they can't be the only ones. No, these are the first victims we speak of. The first one we think we know about was right around the time she got divorced oh. in Minnesota in 1902. But we don't know a lot about that one. All we know is that she was treating the person, the person died, and she took the person to the coroner, and they said the cause was starvation. And when the coroner tried to prosecute, they said that they couldn't because she was licensed to practice medicine, and the other person chose to undergo her treatments. So there's like nothing they could really do. That's another huge red flag here Mm -hmm. is that then the investigators of the death were like, what happens to all the patient's valuable jewelry? And Linda is evasive at best. Mm -hmm. After that, she goes to Washington state. That's like she got divorced and Sam is in prison. That's all that time. She goes to Washington state. And the first victim in Washington is Daisy Maud Hagland. And she is a Norwegian immigrant. After 50 days going under the fast, she dies on February 6th, 26, 1908. 
She has a three-year-old son that she leaves behind. Daisy was 38 years old. Oh, my God. It's terrible. And we'll get more on her son, Ivar, in the future. Hmm. Other victims followed Ida Wilcox in 1908, Blanche B. Tyndale and Viola Heaton in 1909, Miss Maud Whitney in 1910, and then a really established engineer named Earl Edward Erdman took to the fasting cure in 1911 and died of starvation three weeks Mm. later. This is what's terrible. At this point, the Seattle Daily Times headline read, Woman MD Kills Another Patient. They knew. They knew that people were dying under her care. Everybody knows. And it just keeps happening for all these years. We do even have Earl's diary where he recorded what he ate and his treatment every day all the way up until he was hospitalized. He was in the hospital and his friend is coming in to give him a blood transfusion right before he dies. Because if you don't have nutrition, your blood goes away. Like you get... You get anemia. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, he did his friend, after they got to the hospital, they were like, he doesn't have enough blood to sustain life. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, I don't know where it goes exactly, but it's not there. I guess your body's not producing it. Yeah. I guess. And, like, once it runs through your system, I guess it gets back to the heart and it doesn't, like, re... Isn't the heart what remakes it healthy? I don't I think, know. I think that's what happens. Anything about the cardiovascular system. Somebody else tell us. Or the body. Somebody somebody out there that's an actual MJ. I know you MJ. should be eating. <laughs> <laughs> so then this law partner, Frank Southerd, dies. Like, these are established men and women. Wealthy, smart, educated, college degrees. And also a man named Ivan Flux. He's an Englishman who came to America to buy a ranch. They both die. And Ivan specifically, when his family comes to like claim his body and stuff, they're told he has $70 left to his name. Like everything, everything was, was signed wrong. over to her. Well, it sucks too because like I can imagine coming to this idyllic, Washington State property and like it's gorgeous out on the northwest we, we know that it's, it's beautiful. so beautiful and then her saying these things kind of like how people do on the internet today like all you have to do is like get rid of your toxins just homestead yeah, yeah. Da, 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 da. and it's like they're using language that sounds good and they're using language that you're like yeah I don't want any toxins in my body yeah I do want to get rid of that yeah like water's good why wouldn't i want it up my butthole like you know it's like cleans me out they're using language that is so positive that you almost like it's so hard to see the evil intentions and i mean it's purposefully misleading it is it absolutely is most of these people are immigrants just like bell gunness Mm -hmm. she's going after people that their family members their friends are not going to be close enough to save them yeah they're untethered right like Oh, God. And that's also why authorities don't actually give a shit about these people. Because, like, oh, another person died, but, like, they're not a part of our community. There's nobody coming up knocking on the door asking for help. No. If the mayor of this town was like, I'm going to take a part of this program, and he died by starvation, you better believe they would be on it. Well, it's about to happen. (gasps) Oh, okay. (laughs) Okay. So there's a prominent legislator who starts to waste away to nothing. And authorities and everybody in town, this is Lewis Rader. They're like, stop. You can't do this. You're Mm -hmm. showing signs of severe starvation. Get away from this woman. Stop taking her cures. Health inspectors try to convince him to leave her treatments. He refuses. 
And then when they get close to convincing him, Linda kidnaps him, <gasps> takes him away, and hides him somewhere where he can't be found. Oh, my God. And he's dead a few days later, weighing less than 100 pounds, a grown man. And he had signed over everything to her, including his property, Wilderness Heights. Mm. So when the two British women came to Seattle and they were like, okay, we're ready for your institution. And she was like, it's not ready yet. She meant Raider is not dead yet. Oh, like my I don't own God. It. It's so frustrating. I know. Okay. So the health director of Seattle is confronted after this prominent legislator died. And they're like, we can't do anything because Linda's licensed and they're doing it willingly. Right. In fact, Linda had many loyal followers and people liked her. She treated thousands of patients where the fasting practice worked. Now, my personal opinion is she preyed on the immigrants that had a lot of money. Yeah. So that she could steal their shit. And then everybody else, she really did believe fasting was good for you. Like intermittent fasting. Like she didn't think she was lying about that. She overfasted people she wanted to starve to death. Yep. Yeah. But there are patients who are obviously afraid of her and they don't want to disobey her and they're too weak to deal with her. And the health director says, we'll keep an eye on her in case she starts to treat children. Like their lives are more important or like, I don't know. Well, and it's also, this is another clear cut sign of like cult mentality is like, you don't treat quite everyone yet like yeah. shit because you still have to have a, a base of people who don't see the bad. It's like you dictators who keep the military well fed and exactly. well paid and like give them freedom. Exactly. Mm. Because obviously if she's having all these other patients that like it seems like, oh, they just like couldn't hack it. Like, right. you know, they just like weren't really doing what I was telling them so that they're the bad apples, the right. people Everybody that die. Everybody else survived. Yeah, exactly. Everybody else is doing great. Perfect. So the pattern of abuse is becoming distressingly clear. Patients are put up in Seattle or in her cabins on Wilderness Heights. They would slowly waste away, sign over all their money and belongings, and then autopsy ports, reports that she was producing showed that they died from anything except starvation. There's one exception to this in 1909 when 26-year-old Eugene Stanley Wakelin, his decomposing body is found on Hazard's property with a bullet in his head. What? And it was listed as presumed suicide. But here's what went down. Linda Hazard had power of attorney over this young man's estate. His parents are lords. He is a British lord. But when they contact the family for money... They're like, we disowned him a long time ago. He doesn't have any money. So instead of taking the time to starve him to death, they just kill him. Because if they let him live, he's going to go back and report how terrible it was to be there. Oh, my God. But it takes so much energy to starve somebody to death. Right. Again, it's the long con. Yeah. Because the longer it takes to kill them in this sense, if they do have money, the more money you get. Yeah. The more you can get them to sign over. But this guy had nothing. And also, I guarantee you that... Linda definitely gets off on this whole long death the power. She fucking loves, loves having power. this power over people. And I would bet that when she found out that he didn't have the money, she thought that he did. She probably flew into a rage Oh, because cult sure. leaders do not like feeling like they're stupid. Mm. They do not like being deceived. 
And I feel like she was probably like, you motherfucker, like you deceived me. Like, like, like you're like, you're starving people to death. <laughs> it's like, yeah, my, how do you feel like you've been violated? Yeah, <laughs> like, I know. Clearly, you asshole. <sighs> Even more disturbing, the town around her starts to call Wilderness Heights starvation heights. Because locals would sometimes come across emancipated skeletal people wandering around as escapees staggering down the road begging for food let me tell you i have seen i was like when you said the starvation thing i remember the photo of one of the women mm-hmm. and it is so horrifying and it's i looked it up while you were talking because it's so fucking scary it's graphic okay so now let's get back to she's arrested because of this British family that is finally willing to do something about it, even though our political and justice system like was just like, it's fine. Linda Hazard says that she's being persecuted because she's a successful woman, which, hap- <laughs> which happens. <Yeah. laughs> and because she's a, not a traditional doctor and people are opposed to natural cures, which happens. And I would say that all of that, she might believe a bit if she wasn't fucking stealing people's money via forgery. And right. Like, all and the other shooting shit. people in the head when they don't have the money she wants. <laughs> exactly. God. Needless to say, her lawyer kept her off the stand <laughs> um, because she would keep getting in trouble in court for like staring down the witnesses and trying to make like hand signals, which is like another cult leader thing. Like oh. she's trying to intimidate them yep. on the stand. Yeah, because at this point, there's probably rumors going on that she has, like, supernatural powers. Oh, and yeah. Then, and then you take it, like, you will that into existence, mm-hmm. you know, like a Charlie Manson kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, like making your watch stop while you're mm-hmm. on the stand type thing. Okay. Besides the damning medical testimony <laughs> and a complete paper trail, including forged diary entries and... You know, the prosecutor is describing her as a financial starvationalist, and she is snapping at the press, like, call me Dr. Hazard. Mrs. Hazard is my mother-in-law. Again, despite all that, she had her defenders. They put the, the husband of her first victim, Daisy, John, the one who, like, three-year-old yeah. was alive when she died. They put him on the stand her husband and was like, he was like, I trust Linda fully, you know, she died, but she was giving my wife the best. And I have taken my son back there three times a week since my mother, since his mother died. Many of her patients were alive and publicly praised her for their weeks and months of fasting, claiming that the others died because they gave undisclosed illnesses like cancer that she can't fix. I love that. They're like, it wasn't the starvation. It was just because they had illnesses that they didn't tell Linda about. Like, <laughs> duh. What? What? However, while waiting for her sentencing, she managed to kill two more patients yes! from starvation. And better yet, the jury came back with a verdict of manslaughter instead of first degree murder because she was a woman. And in the 1800s, 1900s, they didn't believe women were capable of first-degree murder. There's a limo on the street. Is Jake home? Maybe. <laughs> Sounds like a producer thing <laughs> to show up with a limo. Sorry, I had to break that tension because I'm so horrified. Yeah, and she was sentenced to more than two years, but less than 20. Wait, what? <laughs> what? I don't know. And Katie, <laughs> I wish that that was the story, that she went to prison and that this was over. But Linda was released two years later, two years 
for all these people and received a full pardon. No. Yep. Full pardon. She goes to New Zealand where she operates under the title of physician's dietitian and publishes another book and makes a shit ton of money. And by 1920, she has so much money, she comes back to Washington and builds her dream sanitarium at the same place. And since the state had pulled her medical license, she calls it a school of health. The lavish building includes... I'm not a doctor, I'm a teacher. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Anybody can be a teacher. Mm -hmm. I'm both. <laughs> the, this lavish building includes a basement autopsy room, and she continued starving people to death what the fuck the sanitarium burns down in 1935 probably for insurance money i'm thinking oh my god for sure because yeah. she was like man i don't know i could run this scam too amazing and then three years later dr hazard starts not feeling well and she decides to embark on her own fasting cure needless to say june of 1938 at age 70 linda took her own life via starvation what the fuck she starved herself to death see that's how you know like she was very mentally ill yes like she believed what she, she was doing believe. oh my god okay the <laughs> today this is what i think is the most disturbing thing today her book is still published and bought no in nutritional health bookstores and is downloadable on the internet no more troubling is that it is now published under a different name <gasps> scientific fasting the ancient and modern key to health right now no, you can get online and buy no. this book from a serial killer cult leader what the fuck it's terrible guys you have to be so careful on the internet my <laughs> god it's don't so get this book scary because anytime you look up intermittent fasting like her book is on the list no that's very different she's a murderer you eat during don't intermittent do, fasting don't do enemas every day no my god the total number of victims is unknown but we can safely say with proof that she starved to death between 12 to 20 people oh my god and possibly many many more but if you need a positive part of this story the three-year-old ivor whose mother was taken from this and then was treated by this monster three times a week went back to his home country and made a fortune feeding millions of people by owning a seafood restaurant. What? Yeah, I love that. And oh. that's the end of the story. Oh my I'm, god! I'm ending it on Daisy's son Ivar, who is a. I mean, it's like in. Um, uh, they were Norwegian. Yeah. So in Norway, it is like the most famous like seafood restaurant. Really? It's like a chain, and everybody's like, he's like a Philip Seafood. Yeah. In Norway, exactly. And when everybody finds out about it, they're like, oh my god, did you know his mom was killed by a serial killer? <gasps> But it's so cool that like his his life's work was to feed people after his mother died of starvation. I think that's like a really like yeah. it's a really nice it's the only like flower I could find. <laughs> the only cherry we could possibly put on top of this awful, awful story. Is it that crazy? The whole thing's crazy. Oh my god. Okay. Well, I think we need to talk about these two women <laughs> together yeah. in a little segment we like to call Just the Two of Us. Um, I'm so okay. sad that Kate died at 35, like right before this woman started her life. We needed a Kate. I was just thinking that of like, Kate should have been on the case. And she would have done great. And she would have done great because 
Kate could again. That's why you need like female detectives and female PIs because they need to go in and try and figure out what's going on while keeping their head. Yeah. Like I believe wholeheartedly that she could have broken this fucking wide open. And I think that the existence of Kate and the Pinkerton, you know, detective agency is kind of another product of what we're seeing as the overarching theme of both of these stories is that like the systems are failing the people mm. and it's why the Pinkertons needed to exist in the first place. Like, oh, they yeah. got into some hot water later. I didn't really get into it, but like, you know, they kind of, I think lost their good reputation later on. I didn't really know too much about it, but anyways, at this but point, they, at this point, they like people needed another person to be like, I'm not crazy. This guy like killed my wife and I don't have any proof because the police aren't investigating it. So like I need help and it's why other people died from Linda. Why so many people died because the system was failing because they're like, well, that's all we can do legally. Right. And it's like, but what about morally? We are so wrapped up in the United States about like what exactly we can do like legally mm-hmm. that we are not doing like morally correct things. And yeah. it's very frustrating. And you know what? It's why like the mob became what it is because like people didn't have anywhere to turn to. So then like it turned to this awful thing. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but it's very frustrating that like, well, you need people who can work around the law to allow yeah. you to exist successfully, Yes, which is, I mean, I found when you were talking about Kate and mm-hmm. her being a detective, I found Margaret's story really interesting. Where mm-hmm. It's like, I used to be these girls' nannies. She showed up and broke the case wide open. Yeah, she She's like, I'm going to be here and I'm going to stay here whether or not I'm allowed to get Dorothea out of here. And I'm going to sneak away and I'm going to get this man to come because yep. no one's listening to me. Yeah. Well, and also it's interesting too that, you know, again, we're talking about kind of broken systems and like she was the only one seeing what was happening Mm -hmm. and she couldn't openly just like go to the police and be like, here's what's going on because her social class wasn't high enough Mm -hmm. and she was also a woman and they also fucking knew that this was happening. They wouldn't have believed her. So it's like, where does that leave people like Margaret and people like who would hire the Pinkertons and be like, no one's fucking listening to me. I'm so frustrated. People are getting hurt and no one is paying attention. It's I'm very so, frustrating. I'm so upset about the general populace in both yeah. of these stories. Yeah. Like there are so many women in your story sitting around at tea time or mm-hmm. crochet time talking about murder plots and, you know, talking about theft, like large scale felony theft. Yeah. And, like, just talking about it over tea and everybody's fine. And it's the same way the people in Seattle were like, oh, it's called Starvation Heights. Like, everybody knows she's murdering people there. Yeah. And doing nothing. And I think it goes back to what Kate said to Pinkerton in her first meeting. She was like, you're underestimating me. People were underestimating Linda. Mm. Exactly. In a very severe way. And here is two very intense examples of charismatic women mm-hmm. taking two very different routes in life, you know, because I feel like their descriptions were kind of similar. This young, charismatic, potentially attractive, like young woman who's like, I believe in a better life for you and for me. And 
people that are very full of hope and that's exactly how they draw these vulnerable people into them obviously like <laughs> Kate was gathering info you know but they were essentially you know to convict criminals but they're essentially doing the same thing they're targeting wealthy vulnerable women to get what they want that's such a like that's so right yeah it's, it's so right and I couldn't even see from that angle that they really are doing the exact same thing the exact same thing but one is one is like for a uh, a positive cause almost. Yeah, because one is for justice. Because mm-hmm. here's the other thing. The women that Kate was befriending or going after, they probably felt betrayed. They were probably upset because their husband was convicted and sent to jail. Probably not for very long. I bet they were fine, you know. Mm-hmm. But it probably did fuck up their life a little bit. But ultimately, these women could still go on. They could still move on with their lives. And also, also it's not like she befriended these women and they had no idea that their husbands were criminals. Right. They They fucking knew. I mean, the one woman, she was going to be a murderer. (laughs) And then Kate befriended her and thwarted the plot. You know, it's like we have someone doing it for really good reasons. And then we have another person doing it for their own personal gain. It's true. Do you know what else is very interesting about uh-huh. these two women is that I think what you need in a, um, a PI uh-huh. and a cult leader is mm-hmm. like that almost mentalist ability where yes. you can read what another person wants and needs and feels like, mm-hmm. like you were talking about how Kate could flow in and out of situations. Like Linda could make people feel safe and yeah. trust her yeah. and love her. And like Kate could do the same thing. The same fucking thing. People never suspected her. No, never. And it's again, because they had these charismatic personalities, but they could also become kind of an every woman. Yeah. You know? So like they could become the life of the party or they could be the person that makes you feel like you're the only fucking human being in the room. Mm. And that is in the wrong hands, a very dangerous thing. And I also think it's interesting that they both very specifically targeted women because they also themselves knew what it felt like to be a woman in the 1800s. And they're like, nobody's paying attention to me. So no one's paying attention to them. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to make them feel like the most special fucking person in the world. And then take all their shit and then take all their shit. <laughs> and they both went after their careers with quite a bit of gusto. Lots of gusto. <laughs> I mean, it's the only adjective to describe. God, it's insane. It's literally like if you flipped a coin and you're like, you're either going to be a cult leader mm-hmm. or you're going to save the president of the United States life. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's why so badly I want to know about Linda's early life, her childhood. Oh, but we love- just don't know God, i would love know. to know yeah fuck i would also that's like same thing with kate i would love to know about her early life because we really don't know because also here's the thing you really couldn't trust either of them no we don't even know kate was her real name i just you know because they we both, don't even know if she was a widow or not we have no idea god they're liars they're both liars <laughs> you fucking, fucking liars, liars. <laughs> i love it 
All right. Are you ready to toast these two lying ladies? <laughs> I am. <laughs> and also, it's not confirmed that Kate lied. So we just think that maybe she's a really good liar, and that's why we don't. Yeah, can't confirm it. <laughs> um, who would you like to toast this evening? So obviously, I don't want to toast L for Linda. Yeah. So I want to toast LL Hazard. LL Hazard. I um, I want to toast to all the women who went to her trying to better themselves yeah. and like for self-improvement. So many women feel like they are not healthy enough or vibrant enough or pretty enough or glowing enough. And they seek these like one size fits all like yes. fixes. Mm-hmm. And I just want to toast to those women, just like be safe and do your research. Like there's no fault in trying out different right. books and different fad diets and like whatever just be safe and be like safe yeah be like true to yourself that you like are fine yeah. the way you are so cheers, cheers. <sighs> i'm going to toast the ladies who never let you down <laughs> i just love that quote from pinkerton because it's very rare to change a man's mind mm. And Kate did that tenfold. He became a person who went from, you know, literally not even considering hiring a woman other than secretarial work to being like, we should have an entire bureau of women who are PIs. This This is amazing. They're so good. You know, it's like, what's that quote from the Bible? Like, it's easier to get a rich man into heaven than the threaded camel through the the eye eye of the needle. And I kind of feel like it's that way with like white wealthy misogynistic men it's like how do you change their mind and kate fucking did it and can we all be kate no mm-hmm. we're gonna let people down mm-hmm. but <laughs> i just love that he said that about her because i know it's a powerful thing to change someone's mind it so cheers, cheers to her and Woo! <laughs> to kate all mm. right now what are you enjoying in pop culture this week okay so we finally decided to do like a full meal delivery box. <gasps> so here's the deal. How was it? It's great. Also, they gave us like free week gift cards to give out oh. to our friends. So I'm going to give you one. It's great. Which one are you doing? Um, every plate. Ooh. Okay. okay. So here's the deal. We have been getting imperfect produce for a while because yeah. they send us random stuff and our mm-hmm. daughter's a vegetarian. And I was like, if we do that, maybe we'll learn to like cook different things. Mm-hmm. But the problem is we like weren't creative enough with it. So we would just like take the vegetables they gave us mm-hmm. and cook the same old things. Right. So we were like, okay, maybe let's cancel that. Mm-hmm. And we're going to do this one called every plate. And there's, we obviously do all vegetarian options. Mm-hmm. So we can, you, but you can add meat to any of them if you want or mm-hmm. buy them with meat. It is. 60 bucks a week. They mm-hmm. send you three meals, all the recipes and all the supplies. Oh my God. So when you think about like the grocery bill. Yeah. That's actually not and that And it's crazy. like exact portions. portions. Yeah. So you're not which, wasting anything. Right. Which is really nice. The only thing I would say is they do like individually wrap certain things, which to me seems a little bit plastic heavy. Yeah. But there are like, I, I've definitely like, we've done it for three weeks now so mm-hmm. we've had nine meals and there's three new they have a new set of meals you can pick from every week and it's just it's nice to be like okay tonight we're having like quinoa and chickpeas and mm-hmm. like that's what we're gonna mix our vegetables yeah. into instead of me being like looking at a recipe online and being like i'm not physically capable of doing that it's like and now it's in my fridge and i can do that yeah 
And it's also nice because you're like, fuck, I don't want to buy a whole thing of turmeric when I need a pinch of it for this yeah. recipe. <laughs> yeah, I am. I definitely am going to write to and or call the company about the plastic. Yeah, it, I think that's important because it, I'm, I do get worried about that with a lot of these meal delivery services. Yeah. Because it's, it's certain things that don't need to be right like that individualized. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean... I don't know. I, it, it'll be harder for them because they'll have to be like, if I'm sending it to a family of six, they need this size cream cheese versus this size right. instead of just throwing in 10 packets of cream cheese or whatever okay. it is. So that's the only thing that I struggle with. Mm-hmm. But they gave me a whole bunch of free weeks so I can give you and Casey a Ooh. free $60 week and you can see if you like it. That's exciting. Yeah. And then I'll give you another one and you can have it delivered next door. <laughs> Or to your friend's house and then pick it up. <laughs> oh, that sounds perfect. All right. Well, that's exciting. What are you looking into? Okay. I'm going to recommend a show. Normally, I kind of wait until I finish at least like the first season of a show to recommend it. Mm. Um, but I'm a little worried because I think uh, the person who has the HBO Max thing um, didn't re-up it. <gasps> so we have stalled now. But <laughs> halfway through, our flag means death. Okay. Have you heard of this show? No. So all I knew was it was a pirate show starring Riz Darby and uh, like written and produced and directed or whatever by Taika Waititi, who is the new. They're like both New Zealand comedians who okay. I just fucking love. I I just love them so much. So it is all about this pirate named Steed Bonnet, who I didn't realize when I started watching the show was a real fucking pirate. He was oh. called the Gentleman Pirate, and he was just a guy who like was this very wealthy man who had no business being a pirate, but he was like, I think it'll be fun. (laughs) But the great part about it, and this is actually historically true, he became very good friends with Blackbeard. Like, Blackbeard had, like, a weird soft spot for him. (laughs) And they became friends. So this show is about them, and it's so funny. And I also love that, like, it's this great vehicle for, like, LGBTQ pride. Like, there is a character on there who they somehow just totally wormed in it's a uh, a non-binary actor so they somehow made it so that they get to go by they pronouns on the show Ugh. but it happens very naturally so it's not like call me such and such it's just like this exists yeah get over it and like and i didn't really realize it until it was happening and i was like oh they're calling them they and then i looked it up and it was and i was like oh they're a non-binary actress so they're like respecting it within the show but they also made it kind of a plot point that like this kind of organically happened and everyone on the ship is just like, okay with it. Perfect. And no one taught like, it's just great. It's so wonderful. And there's a couple of like gay romances and like all this other stuff. And it's just, it's a really funny, really lovely show. It really gets going. And I think like the third or fourth episode, okay. um, but yeah, it's really fucking good and there's a lot of comedians in it that you'll recognize good just a good swashbuckling time so and it's based on a true story so our flag means death i'm sure it's very historically inaccurate i will point that out who cares but all pirate things are so yeah there's not except for one historically accurate pirate thing except for dr jamie goodall yeah anything jamie goodall wrote you can be assured is historically accurate Mm. she's our pirate specialist yes but it's also why she doesn't write on TV shows yet because <laughs> they're not ready to face the truth. Right. All right. 
Well, we love you guys. Thank you for joining us this evening for all these crazy women. Um, <laughs> Find us this place, every place. Oh, please do. Um, join us on Instagram for uh, Tipsy Tuesdays and mm-hmm. Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn and all the things. We have so much fun interacting with you guys mm-hmm. write us a review we oh, need that new would be reviews. great we do it's dusty over there get we on over emails. <laughs> we love your emails you're such kind emails yeah and if you like more would like if you would like more of this <laughs> join us on patreon yeah we have really fun talks every time afterwards mm-hmm. and it's a good time um last week we posed some very important questions mm-hmm. about time traveling we did (laughs) so if you'd like to hang out with us just a little bit more join us on patreon (laughs) for as little as a dollar a month any little bit helps offset the cost of all this alcohol it is too much so thank you again we love you and don't forget that well-behaved women only drink clear beverages (sighs) true and they really make history Goodbye. goodbye Her Story on the Rocks. We are independently produced by 1986 Entertainment and proudly recorded in Baltimore, Maryland. If there's a woman in history you would like us to cover, you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com. You can also message us on Twitter or Instagram. We post all of our cocktail recipes on Tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us. See you next week. Bye.